Big Ideas on the Go. I'm excited to have as our guest today, Marcel Leonardi, uh, to talk a little bit about the Brazilian privacy regulation of uh, LGPD. Uh, he's going to help uh, inform um, all of us a little bit about what it is and, and how it's different and similar to uh, GDPR and CCPA. So, uh, Marcel, uh, very nice to meet you. Do you want to just tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Dimitri. Really, really excited to be here on the podcast. And uh, well, in short, I've, I've been all over the place. I've been an attorney at a small firm. Then I spent almost eight years at Google, where I was uh, a public policy senior counsel uh, from 2011 until 2018. And then I moved back to a big law firm where I stayed for a year, a year and a half. And then I decided to leave and, and found my own firm, which I've been doing for the past six months. And I've been a law professor for the past 15 years as well, at an institution in Brazil called FGV. Now, I also see that you were voted Lawyer of the Year in 2020, so maybe we'll talk some of that. Well, it's true. I mean, essentially, I guess, precisely because I, I, I kind of went around and had this, this different aspects of my career, I ended up having this very pragmatic approach that clients tend to like, which is give me the advice that I need, not a 100-page memorandum, which ends up with, well, we don't, we're not really sure. So uh, that ended up uh, having uh, lots of big clients, big companies pretty much uh, use my services on privacy and internet law matters. Okay, well, that's pretty impressive. Now, uh, I know that you were quite involved in some of the early drafting of GDPR um, and the Internet Act when you were at Google. So maybe tell us a little bit about your experience both working at Google and in terms of framing these regulations. Absolutely. So at Google was public policy senior counsel, a role that, that I had from 2011 until 2018. And back when I joined uh, the, the first, uh, it, it was interesting to see how uh, we had different priorities back then. So uh, Brazil didn't have, for example, anything similar to Section 230 of the Communications Decent Act, the safe harbors for internet platforms in general. So that was pretty much the first order of priority for Google and pretty much for all internet companies back then. And that was pretty much the focus of my work, I would say, from 2011 until 2014, when this particular law in Brazil, which is called the Internet Act, uh, was finally enacted and created these safe harbors. In the meantime, since 2012, I was also involved with the various drafts of privacy legislation that came up in Brazil at the time, and GDPR was still in the horizon. I remember working with the European privacy team on discussions around things, for example, how is the GDPR going to be shaped? What kind of language will it have? How different it is from the European directive and things like that. So I kind of did both things. I was focused on this particular uh, topic of internet safe harbors in general, but at the same same time, several different bills around privacy also uh, appeared in Brazil. The very first one actually was from 2012, and then it kind of went along. But then it, this topic pretty much only gained some strength in the Brazilian Congress uh, after the whole Snowden revelations episode in 2013. And then there was some push here, push here and there, but then people decided to first go on with this internet law and then eventually start discussing the general data protection law of Brazil, the LGPD uh, later. And then essentially this was a very long winded process. It was very, really interesting to see how it evolved. So for, for the audience, I think it's, it's, it's worth mentioning this that 
when Brazil started out with the privacy regime, with the whole idea of let's create a general data protection law, it was very, very restrictive. So to give you an example, uh, consent was pretty much the only legal basis you could use. Everything else was an exception. There was no notion of legitimate interest. It was really, really strict. And then after so many discussions, so many different versions of the text, here and there, they started to realize, well, maybe you don't need to be that strict. Maybe you don't need to really limit uh, uh, the country that much. And uh, private sector played a part of that. The local government at the time played a part of that. Academia played a huge part of that. And then as the process evolved, you kind of notice that as new language was added, new versions of the, of the draft law uh, came to light, it started to look quite a lot like the European directive and of course later on like the GDPR. So it was a very interesting process because not only Google but the private sector in Brazil in general kind of had this whole uh, wake up moment to privacy regulation in general. What was particularly interesting was especially at first most companies had the obviously wrong impression that Privacy legislation was going to was going to be sectoral. Like it's, it's just going to apply to technology companies. We don't need to worry about that. Yeah. And suddenly, back in, for example, in 2017, when most people realized, well, you know what? Now that we've actually read this draft carefully, it actually applies to pretty much any company anywhere. So that's when things kind of like start shaping up. It was a very interesting process. So, so today, I think you know, for the audience who may be less familiar with um, LGPD relative to GDPR and, and CCPA. Mm -hmm you know, two questions, like what are the kind of the big takeaways and maybe just do a very simple kind of contrast um, uh, comparison to what they may already know in terms of data rights, in terms of consent, in terms of other um, legal basis, et cetera. Right. So one thing that's very important for the audience to understand is even though Brazil, of course, is in South America, most of our legislation is very heavily European inspired. This is due to historic reasons, the whole colonization from the Portuguese and things like that. So contrary to what some people may expect, there's not really a lot of influence from, for example, other countries in the region. Of course, people talk, legislators talk, but usually people look up to Europe for the standard in what laws should look like in general. So on privacy, it wasn't different. Essentially, people knew of the European uh, directive from 95. And then when GDPR became a thing in 2016, it was in the very middle of this strengthening of the legislative process in Brazil around uh, privacy. So obviously, they, they, they got the main takeaways from GDPR. So LGPD is very similar in spirit to GDPR, very broad and very comprehensive in the sense that it applies to pretty much any person, any natural person, it doesn't matter. It's not like, for example, CCPA, where you're supposed to be a consumer for the law to apply to you. It applies to you just because you're a data subject. You can be an employee, you can be a partner at a company, you can be a consumer. You can, I mean, to the extent that you are considered a data subject, just like GDPR, the law applies to you. And the same idea, the same core idea of having legal basis for processing and specific hypotheses that would allow companies and institutions, and also, of course, government, it also applies to the, to the public sector of course, to uh, process data, it's pretty much the same idea. So the core differences, though, are probably what's most interesting to understand. So contrary to GDPR, LGPG actually has 10 different legal bases rather than just six. So there's a little more flexibility here and there to use uh, and process data in general. 
uh, we have the same notions of consent, of legitimate interest, contractual necessity, uh, but we also have other things like, for example, you can do a lot, you can justify a lot of your processing based on your needs regarding, for example, uh, you may need data to defend yourself or your company uh, from future lawsuits and th things like that. So exercise of legal claims and protection of health, uh, protection of credit is a very unique legal basis. Things like that are very, very different in that sense that they don't really exist as such in GDPR, or at least they are narrower and more limited. So you have that for LGPD. Another interesting thing is LGPD is pretty much the major law that kind of tries to substitute for other laws that existed in the past. So for marketing activities, I, 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 I like give this, this, this example because it kind of pinpoints a key difference. As we know, there's this whole madness in Europe about you need consent for a lot of things, for example, online, like cookies, and you have these cookie banners, and you have all of these cookie management platforms and things like that. And under the LGPD, and that's due, obviously, to the e-privacy directive in Europe, nothing to do specifically with GDPR. In Brazil, there's no equivalence to the e-privacy directive, which means that cookies, for example, can be used regardless of consent. You could, for example, say, hey, guys, we use cookies. Here is our notice. We rely on legitimate interests, and let's carry on with life. On the other hand, when you rely on legitimate interests, there is this kind of presumption from the law that this is a risky activity. So the law states that whenever any company or any entity is relying on legitimate interests to process data, they are supposed to carry out uh, data protection impact assessment. So this was kind of like the trade-off that the government had back then, because the idea that they had was, you know what, we don't really like this legitimate interest uh, business. It seems a little too broad. Maybe companies will say everything is a legitimate interest. So how do we curtain this a little bit? How do we curb this idea that everything is a legitimate interest? So they decided to put in the law not only some requirements on what exactly a legitimate interest could be, but also uh, uh, point out to the idea that if you're relying on legitimate interest, you're supposed to do a data protection impact assessment, not only a legitimate interest assessment, but also a data protection impact assessment, which is kind of crazy when you come to think of it, because uh, if, if the audience is familiar with what exactly a data protection impact assessment entails, it can be a long-winded process, it can take a lot of time, I mean, it, sometimes it can be a little cumbersome. On the other hand, on things, for example, like data breaches and pretty much security incidents and things like that. GDPR has a very short time frame. You have 72 hours to notify the DPA, for example. Our law just says that you're supposed to notify the DPA and the affected data subjects within a reasonable time frame. So there's no really a 72-hour rush period that you really have to come to terms and see what you do. It's basically to the extent that you're trying to solve the problem and you have this time frame, you can do that. So those are two main differences. And the third one, third one I would add, which usually is what really makes people worried is that our timeframes for responding to data subject requests is short, is shorter. So uh, Brazilian law actually states that the maximum amount of time a company and entity has to respond to a DSR is 15 consecutive days. And we do know how crazy that can be, how short that can be. So yes. there are discussions around what if I show within 15 days that it's not feasible to actually respond to this? Can I get an extension? Can I, is it, the law doesn't mention that, but this is something that companies are trying to come to terms with and see what exactly they will eventually end up doing.
And in terms of the data that you're responsible for bringing back, is it all PII and PI? Does it include things like clickstream data, credentials, birthday? What are you responsible for as a, as a company? Well, data, uh, the, the very concept of personal data is as broad as GDPR. So it's pretty yeah. much any data that, re, that is related to an identified or identifiable individual. So it's really, really broad. I mean, you could be responsible for all of that. Clickstream data, uh, pretty much transaction data, anything that's really associated with a particular person. But of course, it, it does beg the question when exactly within certain contexts, you actually may or may not know who that particular data subject is. Every now and then, of, of course, as the audience knows, uh, you as a company may have a lot of information that for you is personal data, but maybe if you share certain aggregate data with somebody else, they'll never have the means to actually identify who these people might be. So you have that contextual analysis as well. And, and I presume it's data in databases, data files, data lakes, data cloud, like it's, Correct. it's, you have, it's not just in your database. Correct. Includes even paper. <laughs> so paper records are not exempt. Everything is, I mean, structure and structured data, everything is under the law. It's really as broad as GDPR in that sense. So I'm curious, you know, obviously you guys have had some lockdown um, because of COVID. Obviously it's, it's, a, it's a global pandemic. You know, this privacy regulation is coming into effect during the pandemic. How does that affect things? How does that change things? Are there more people sitting at home doing uh, data subject requests? Like, what what is it? What has COVID meant anything um, in terms of how LGPD was rolled out? Well, one thing that was interesting is that everybody was pretty much counting, and that didn't materialize, but everybody was counting on LGPD being postponed for an additional year, so to speak, a little less than that. So what ended up happening was that the LGPD was supposed to come into effect in August of this year, 2020. But then what eventually happened is there was this agreement to, to, to postpone it to May 2021. But what ended up happening is that uh, Brazilian Congress kind of disagreed on that idea. It, the law had already been postponed once. And basically, they decided to just say, you know what, let's just remove this from the executive order that decided to postpone the law. And without going into the details of the of the politics that added, uh, behind all of that, what, it, what ended up happening is that the law came into effect in September 12, uh, September 18, sorry, of this year. 2020. So what you have right now is not everybody's even aware that the law is in effect. In, in, I mean, companies are obviously very aware, but especially data subjects in general, people in general pretty much are, don't really know that they have all these new rights with obviously, and it's almost like a joke at this point, with the exception of lawyers. So some companies <laughs> we, we, we talk with, we work with, they always joke that they've never seen so many attorneys suddenly concerned with data subject rights and yeah. making these requests. And it's kind of expected, right? I mean, in a country sure, with over a million attorneys, probably. right? What's that? I was just saying attorneys and vendors probably. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I mean, I think there's a very big growing curve, you know, a, a learning curve, so to speak, which is uh, we've seen so many interesting, funny DSRs at this point requests. For example, <laughs> one particular company that I work with, they received this DSR, which the person simply stated in one single sentence, the phrase, uh, I want to have privacy. 
And it's kind of like, how do you even respond <laughs> That's to my that? mother. That's my mother. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. On the other hand, you do have some people making a lot of noise without actually understanding what the law says. I'll give you an example. So another DSR that we saw was something along the lines of, I want you to, to delete all my data. And then this company is actually a company in the multimedia sector in, 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 in the streaming business. And basically they asked back, so do you mean you want to cancel your account? No, no, I just want you to delete my all my data. And the company said, well, we can't really do that because obviously if you how can we possibly charge you your monthly fee? How can we actually provide you with the services? I mean, that's not what you, did you mean anything in, in peculiar? And then they responded back, oh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sick of your advertisements. Oh, okay. So can we put you on the, should we put you on the opt out list so you don't receive any more ads? Yeah, that's what I meant. So I think this example kind of highlights something that is very important because the general population is obviously not really aware of the nuances and differences of what exactly their rights are regarding data protection in general. So sometimes they make these very broad requests that companies really need to kind of read between the lines because all of that particular person wanted was take me off your mailing list for advertising. They never actually wanted the company to delete the data. It's just that they had the wrong perception that the only way to achieve that particular goal was going to be with the deletion of data. So so this kind of thing is interesting to see and watch. And of course, companies need to be very aware and prepared for those things. So, so that kind of brings me maybe to my last question. Um, so obviously, momentous year on, on many levels, obviously with the pandemic, but also the, the new Brazilian privacy regulation. You know, where do things go from here, both in terms of regulatory in Brazil, but also in terms of just awareness in the market, right? I think you bring up a good point that People don't totally understand what privacy is and especially data privacy. So what are your thoughts on that? So what you have right now is, especially the big multinational companies, be it international or Brazilian, uh, I mean, it, it, with their headquarters, they're pretty much obviously aware of what the law requires. They've been doing all of these adequacy projects over the past couple of years. Uh, they are pretty, they are pretty good spots to respond to all of that. So, and of course, there's plenty of legal work and, and, and technical work going around for that. When you go to the middle market, smaller companies, medium-sized companies, then you have still these people trying to look and say, well, are we really going to be fine? Should we really be doing something? What exactly does that entail? And one thing that I found that is particularly interesting and another lesson that I learned throughout the years is that especially people who never heard the term, the term data protection, they get the impression that it's all about information security. They think it's about firewalls. They think it's about uh, securing your network, which of course is a part of it. But I mean, when you, it's very interesting going into a meeting with a company like that and then going on around, you know, you have these broad concepts, you have the concept of processing, you have the notion of controller and processor, you have the legal basis, you have all of these legal requirements. People like you look at you and say, I just thought that I needed a better firewall. <laughs> so I think there's a huge learning curve, in the, learning curve there regarding especially the smaller enterprises, the smaller companies. And also one thing that's still, uh, I, I, I mean, they're improving, of course, but especially the public sector has a tremendous way to go. I mean, it's interesting when you discuss this with government, especially, for example, city hall of small cities, or for example, you talk about data protection in general with certain sectors of government, they still don't really fully understand what is this. In a way, I would say that it's almost like Brazil imported GDPR and 
made some quirks and, and adapted some, some tweaks here and there, but failure to educate uh, everybody that's going to be that, that's going to have to implement the law with the implications actually are. So I, that is why I think we're going to have a learning curve. And of course, now we do have a data protection authority, a DPA, just like uh, the European countries have. But uh, I mean, as of today, it's not operational yet. So it's going to be it's going to be take some time before they actually issue some regulations and guidance and guidelines and things like that. So, I mean, I'm excited for the future. I think it, the, the law uh, was really a long term coming. It, it should really be there for I mean, it should really exist. I think it's important for especially to, for companies to organize their data protection practices in general. But my point is, because we never had this kind of omnibus comprehensive data protection law, the learning curve is going to be much bigger than people realize, because it's different than Europe, where people kind of knew that the, the directive existed. Of course, the GPR at the end with the with the higher uh, fines and things like that. But my point is that uh, uh, people will need to be aware that this is a new thing and there's a new way of doing business in general. Yeah, no, look, I agree. And I think we're, you see the, you see very similar kind of adaptation and evolution here in the U S where, you know, people may have not, may, may have not fully understood CCPA and now CIPRA or even mm -hmm. Europe. So I think, you know, probably that's less, what you're describing is less Brazilian specific and more kind of just the nature of kind of new legislation and, and people's kind of the time it takes to kind of understand it. Um, Marcel, listen, this, this was great. Uh, I think this has been hugely informative for myself. Uh, I'm sure it's been uh, very educational for, for the audience in terms of just understanding the state of affairs vis-a-vis uh, -vis privacy in, in Brazil. And I imagine this is going to become kind of, um, you know, not if not the kind of the baseline or the, the kind of uh, reference set, but certainly an example of something we're going to see carried, carried across Latin America. So uh, thank you again for, for joining us. I really appreciate your time. I hope you stay safe. Uh, I'd also like to uh, encourage our audience to uh, subscribe to Big Ideas on the Go and please leave a review for us. Uh, thank you again, Marcel. Have a safe weekend and uh, we will talk to everybody later. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks again. Bye-bye, guys. Okay, bye.